Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Got a tremendous show for you today. We are going to be joined in the second segment by our good buddy Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs. We're going to be talking to him just about the beginning of the season. He does a terrific job of just looking at everything for them. We're going to be talking about the whole St. Louis Cardinals situation. Now we're going to have some fun for Fernand. Oh no! Rodney, he's someone that he likes him. So we're going to be talking about that in the second segment. In the final segment, I'm going to be giving you guys a sign total on every game on the MLB betting board for Wednesday. And a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If there's something that you'd like to answer, fire it into my timeline at JSCordy1. If there's something that you send via DM, aka direct message, well, letters DM to me mean does not matter, so always send these into the timeline, and if I have yet to answer it on this podcast, I certainly will. And we got into today, so let's get into it. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. We get this one in from James. You can follow my Twitter at James underscore AG1, and that is the number one in the SHGR Squirty One question for the pod. Do you know why books didn't adjust the total in Texas when the roof was announced open? The total opened up at nine and it stayed at eight and a half despite the open roof. And this is from Monday's game. And if you do remember correctly, this one did close at nine, but typically whenever books put out a total, 
they're not really going to move it unless if they get money on the other side. So what I think is that there's a bunch of betters that are sort of just confused with Texas. We've only seen three overs in that new ballpark in Arlington. I think that that's a big reason why this thing didn't move just because we haven't seen the roof open very much in Arlington. We just don't know how it's going to play. Typically, whenever you see the roof being open, it is certainly going to lead to more runs, but we see it a lot in games as well with some of these places. They wind up opening up the roof mid-game. There's just absolutely nothing that you can do about it. I mean, trying to handicap when the roof is going to open up at some of these games can be a little bit difficult. We remember Lance McCullers of the Houston Astros last week. He was mad at the Arizona Diamondbacks because they opened up the roof in the fourth inning and it cost them to give up 100 million billion runs, even though it was just really poopy pitching and there wound up being an inside the park home run, which that's not really the fault of the roof, but with that said, he certainly was doing it. So I just think that it's a little bit of confusion as to how the ballpark is going to wind up playing, just seeing a whole bunch of unders and just money in general not coming in on the over because I think that there's a lot of people that are casual betters. They don't know whether the roof is open or closed. They just see the raw stats. So that is a big one there. And then I had a couple people asking me, I'm not going to give a Twitter handle here because we had quite a few of these folks asking me about my thoughts on looking at lineups and how they do against starting pitchers and just looking at their history. It's something I'm not using a lot for 2020. If you've got a very big sample size like Jacob deGrom against the Atlanta Braves, it might be worth diving into. But in 2020, Things are just so different. Even like Aaron Nola, he had been shelled in his last couple times going up against the Atlanta Braves. It's not something I wound up putting a lot of stock into just because I did see a little bit of something different out of Aaron Nola here in 2020. You wound up having a nice start on Monday. He was able to get the win. And then I know that there was someone that was tweeting at me about Zach Allen having issues with the Colorado Rockies, but that was a very small sample size. He had only faced the Colorado Rockies twice in his career. I mean, I don't even know if I would call that a sample size. Two starts against a team, that's like a tasting of beer before deciding whether or not to buy like one beer. It's just one of these things where you need to have enough data to really find something. And this is just a year that is so strange in general. And we've seen a lot of moving parts. We see a lot of scratches that it's just not something that I utilize too much. You need to really see recent form with some of these guys because you just don't know if the velocity is up and down as well. That is something I take a look at with a lot of these starting pitchers. Just how they've done recently I think is much more important than just looking at the history just because this is such an awkward and strange year. And plus, if you're really going to want to look at pitcher versus batter, you're going to need to do the deep dive on the analytics, not just look at the career, but look at the situations in which they have those at-bats as well. I think that that's very important, and it's very, very hard to do. So that's why I have not really been utilizing that. Always love to be able to answer those questions, you guys. Thank you so much for firing those in. Now let's take a look back at everything that we saw from a very wild and crazy Tuesday in MLB. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. We certainly had some fireworks out there at Coors Field. Zach Gallon, for his 19th straight start to begin his career, gives up three earned runs or fewer. But despite the fact that the game was 2-2 going into the bottom of the eighth, the over hits with ease as the Colorado Rockies get into the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen for six runs in the eighth. Then the Diamondbacks put up a five spot in the ninth inning to make it an 8-7 Colorado Rockies win. By the way, for the Colorado Rockies, Charlie Blackman's now winning a 500. This is something that we do need to track. Obviously, if a guy hits a 400 for 2020, it's not going to count the same way that Ted Williams' did, but that said, he's doing pretty darn good, and for Nolan Arenado, he wound up being the 
lone guy that was really able to hit Zach Gallen in this one. He winds up getting a home run his fourth of the campaign, but for the Arizona Diamondbacks, after Gallen winds up going seven strong, giving up that home run and really nothing else, Kevin Ginkle just lit the game on fire. He gives up four runs without recording a single out. That's what you expect from a guy with a last name Ginkle. Alex Young, he didn't do his job as well. He gives up two runs over the course of two-thirds of an inning. For the Colorado Rockies, how about Kyle Freeland and how good he looked? Seven innings, he gives up two runs himself. Those were both solo shots. Being able to go deep for the Arizona Diamondbacks. How about Christian Walker's first of the campaign? And Carson Kelly gets his first, but he was certainly able to do his job. And then from there, you had a pair of guys that wound up giving up quite a few runs. Philip Deal winds up giving up three runs, and he records one out. Jardio Diaz, who has actually been pretty solid for this team here in 2020, he gives up two runs while recording just one out. It was up to Daniel Bard to wind up getting the save. His first in... I don't even know how long he had been out of the MLB since like 2012 or 2013. So very good story there. He was able to get the close out. And for the Colorado Rockies, how about them now being 12-5, and five, by the way? So they've been able to do a solid job there. We were talking about the Rangers and the Mariners and that whole situation with the roof. On Tuesday, it was the Texas Rangers being able to take down the Mariners by a count of 4-2. Saw some scoring early. It was 4-2 in the top of the fifth inning, and then the game wound up dying as the Seattle Mariners, a team that has the worst collective ERA out there in the big leagues, actually got some good bullpen pitching as Matt McGill, Dan Altavia, along with Brian Shaw, all pitch a scoreless inning for Marco Gonzalez, his worst start of the year. Five innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned, none of which were home runs, so you could tell that the ballpark was very much playing pitcher-friendly for the Seattle Mariners. They go one of seven with runners in scoring position, and for the Texas Rangers, Mike Miner, did not necessarily give a lot of length. He goes four innings, and he doesn't give up any runs, but he did give up three walks. He had his pitch count at 76, and he wound up getting yanked from the game. Nick Goody winds up giving up two runs, one of which was earned out of the bullpen, but then from there, Edison Volquez, along with Mr. Rafael Montero and a pair of others, were able to come in, and they were able to close the door. And for the Texas Rangers, they wound up leaving seven men on base as well. And for the Texas Rangers, just three overs so far played in their new ballpark. And for the Seattle Mariners, their first road under so far this year. That is pretty interesting. For the Oakland A's, they've been playing quite a few unders so far this year, and they really contributed to this one because they scored as many runs as Greg Peterson. They wind up losing to the LA Angels by a gut of 6-0 for the Oakland A's. Just was not a good start for Mike Straight Fires. He set fires to your bankroll if you wound up betting on him. Three and two-thirds innings, he gives up five runs off, which were earned. From there, Daniel Magden, some good long relief. How about three and a third innings? He did give up a solo home run, but he was able to do his job, and Lou Trevino was able to close out the eighth for the LA Angels. How about Jason Castro being able to get a home run off of Mr. Fires? His second of the campaign, Anthony Rendon. He's been off to a rough start in LA, but he gets his third home run of the year. And then Brian Goodwin gets his third, along with David Fletcher. These guys have been very solid. And Dylan Bundy, he is now in his last two starts when a combined 16 innings and giving up one run. He gets 10 punch outs. He looked absolutely terrific from there. Anso Robles was able to pitch a scoreless ninth. He lowers his ERA to 12.79. And Mike Myers was able to give a solid inning as well for the Oakland A's. Ramon Loreno is supposed to be suspended six games for that brawl that ensued over the weekend. He's appealing it, so he was in this game. But the team as a whole, five hits, just nothing doing in this one. If you had the under in the New York Post play of the day that I wound up giving out for Tuesday... Gosh, this was a terrible beat. It was 4-1 to one, Toronto Blue Jays, two outs in the ninth inning. And Francisco Cervelli, of course, it's a three-run home run off of Anthony Bass, who sunk the under hook, line, and sinker. 
Both the Blue Jays were able to rally for a 5-4 win in 10 innings for the Miami Marlins. You had Cervelli being able to get his third home run the year, and then Brett Anderson is third. If you could tell, I'm sounding a little bit less than enthused right now because, of course, I had the under in this one. And for Eliezer Hernandez, he winds up giving up three runs over the course of five and a third innings and give it up to the bullpen of the Miami Marlins. They've been solid so far this year. They go a combined four innings. They obviously give up that run in the 10th, but that's counted as, as an unearned run. I don't know how they scored. Apparently, Kai reaches on an air, so you've got a guy at second base to start the 10th inning. I think that's the official scoring, but I would need to double check. And then you wind up having out the bullpen, Mr. Justin Schaefer, give up a run for the Toronto Blue Jays. They were able to get a long ball on this one off of Boba Shett. He was able to get his start of the campaign, and for the Toronto Blue Jays, Hinjin Rue, a pretty solid start. He wound up jacking up his pitch ground a little bit, but he goes six innings, gives up one run. He looked good there. And then Anthony Bass gave up those three runs. It required A.J. Cole to come in and get a four-out win. And for the Miami Marlins, this is a punch that is still at 7-4, and four, so a little bit surprising there in what was the first game in Buffalo in the MLB since 1915. It feels like it's been since 1915 in which the Milwaukee Brewers have gotten offense, but they wound up getting a 6-4 win against the Minnesota Twins on Tuesday, and the joke is is that the Milwaukee Brewers were not around in 1915, but with that said, for the Brew Crew, you had Mr. Manny Pina being able to go yard for this team twice, his first and second of the year. This is someone that hit below the Mendoza line during the 2019 season, so that was very welcome. And then you had Avisail Garcia get his first home run of the year, but the big one, Jed Gurko in the eighth inning goes deep off of Taylor Rogers for his second of the year for the Minnesota Twins bullpen game. Taylor Clippard wound up getting the open. He wound up giving up that home run to Mr. Garcia. Matt Whistler wound up going the longest of anyone. Two and two-thirds innings. He gives up one run. And then you had Trevor May wind up giving up two runs out of the bullpen as well. And then Rogers gives up that two-run bomb to Gurko. That really did him in. But for the Minnesota Twins, how about Eddie Rosario and what he's doing in this series? Already three home runs in the series. A combined seven RBI over the first two games because he wound up having that grand slam on Monday. You also had Ore Palanco going deep for a second home run in the campaign for Josh Lindblom. His second stint here in the MLB after coming over from the KBO hasn't necessarily been going as planned. He gives up four runs over the course of four innings, but he was able to get eight punch outs despite giving up three home runs. From there, the Brewers' bullpen flawless. How about what you were able to get out of Daniel Phelps, Alex Claudio, Eric Yardley, Devin Williams, and then the save by Josh Hader. All scoreless innings from those guys. So the Milwaukee Brewers are able to get the job done. For the Minnesota Twins, they have now scored four runs or fewer, and I believe 10 out of their last 15 games. So they've been scuffling a little bit with that regard. A team that is certainly scuffling, the Cincinnati Reds, but they were able to get a win against the Kansas City Royals by a count of 65 in 10 innings on Tuesday for the Royals. They have now covered the run line in each other last five games, so they've been able to do a solid job there. And for the Kansas City Royals, Ryan McBroom was able to collect his third home run of the campaign. That was in the eighth inning off of Amir Garrett, and that really sent this game to extra innings. But I will say for the Kansas City Royals, they wind up leaving 10 men on base, and Chris Bubich was trying to set a booby trap on the Cincinnati Reds. He didn't do a necessarily good job of it. Five innings pitch. He gives up five runs, all of which weren't including two home runs. You have to give it up to this bullpen, though. Ian Kennedy, Scott Barlow, Tyler Zuber, Trevor Rosenthal, they all go a scoreless inning. And then the man that wound up giving it up, Josh Stalmont, that was someone that wound up coming into this game with the ghost runner in the 10th inning. So certainly a little bit tough there. And then when you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds, the two guys that wound up getting home runs. How about Matt Davidson? He was able to get his second home run in the campaign. And then Jesse Winker, a second. He's been doing a solid job recently. Luis Cassio gave a good start in this one. He wound up going six innings. He did give up three runs, but only one of which was earned as we saw some sloppy play in this one. Three errors committed by the Cincinnati Reds, and then you had Amir Garrett giving up that home run, but you had Lucas Sims being able to close things out. He was able to get the win in this one, so he was certainly able to do his job. Speaking of doing their job, the New York Yankees did their job with the over. They wind up taking down the 
Atlanta Braves by a count of 9-6. For the Braves, Tuki Toussaint did not give the start that you would desire. Goes four innings, giving up six runs, five of which were earned. He got three punch outs, but he gave up a home run in the process. From there, the bullpen arm of Bryce Wilson winds up going five outs. He gives up two runs, including a home run. And then you had Luke Jackson giving up a run as well. No, not the Luke Jackson that used to play for the Oregon Ducks in basketball. But for the New York Yankees, Aaron Judge was judge, jury, and executioner once again. His ninth home run of the campaign. That leads the majors. Luke Voigt also one yard. That was off of Mr. Toussaint, his fifth of the campaign. And for the New York Yankees, Jordan Montgomery, a pretty solid start. He gives up three runs over the course of six innings. Bullpen from there wasn't necessarily great. Luis Sessa winds up giving up two runs, one of which was earned along David Hale giving up a run. There was a pair of errors out there in the field. Glaber Torres and DJ LeMayu contributed to that. And for the Atlanta Braves, they also had a pair of errors, but they also had a home run off the bat of Marcel Ozuna, his fourth of the campaign. So you've got a couple overs going on with the Atlanta Braves and the New York Yankees. And for the Atlanta Braves, they have now played three straight games to the over. Almost was four if they don't wind up having Freddie Freeman get thrown out in that first game of the double dip a few days ago. So they have been a little bit hot with that regard. For the Cleveland Indians, they have been hot to the under. Now 15 out of their 18 games have went under. They wind up losing to the Chicago Cubs by kind of 7-1. to one. This was supposed to be a Mike Clevenger start, but keep in mind, Mike Clevenger did not wind up starting this game because he had violated protocol with leaving the hotel. So he and Zach Plesak have been sent home for the time being. And for Adam Blutko, who wound up getting the start in this one, he wasn't bad. He didn't give length. He wound up going four innings, but he gave up one run. The man that really gave it up, how about Cameron Hill? He comes out of the bullpen, he pitches two-thirds of an inning, and he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And then Phil Meaton wound up giving up a home run as well, as pitching three innings in this one was Logan Allen. He actually wasn't bad. In three innings, he winds up giving up one run, but being able to get that home run for the Chicago Cubs was Jason Award, a guy that was a little bit cold to begin the year. He winds up being able to get his second home run of the campaign. That was a three-run shot. And for the Cubs, they wind up going three of 13 with runners in scoring position. And John Lester, a terrific start in this one. He goes six innings, he gives up one run. He's always been a solid road pitcher. And how about this story? Colin Rea. We were talking about Daniel Barta now. He was out of the big leagues for so long. He had last pitch prior to 2020 at the big league level in 2016. He comes in and he's able to give the team two scoreless innings. And then you also had Mr. Ryan Tapera give the team a scoreless inning. I think that they're trying to socially distance themselves from Craig Kimbrell as much as possible. Not a bad move if you're the Cubs. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit later with our good buddy Dan Zaborski as well. And if you want another wild and crazy game, the Baltimore Orioles are now 8-7 after they get a 10-9 win over the Philadelphia Phillies. If you were like me and you had the over, you were sweating this thing out for the over, but then the Baltimore Orioles just completely erupt. Three runs in the sixth, two runs in the seventh, three runs in the ninth, and then you had two runs in the tenth. For the Philadelphia Phillies, they wind up botching an infield fly ball, which led to the Baltimore Orioles being able to score those runs in the ninth inning. And then in the tenth inning, Roman Quinn tries to dive after a ball. He completely whiffs. That leads to an Austin Say Hayes kid solo home run inside the park. It was a solo two-run shot because he had the ghost runner on second. That's how wild and crazy this game was. And that was the only home run that the Baltimore Orioles got in because the ball was not touched. It was counted as an actual home run for the Baltimore Orioles. Lost in the shuffle. Alex Cobb, not a bad start. Five and a third innings. Gives up three runs, but two of which were earned as the Baltimore Orioles. They committed an error this one as well. It was just absolutely ridiculous. And go figure. Chris Davis was the man that committed that error. And from there, the bullpen of the Baltimore Orioles was not necessarily locked down solid. Miguel Castro gets two outs, but he gives up three runs. Cole Solzer, he winds up giving up two runs in the ninth inning as well. So that was not great. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they actually got a pretty solid start out of Zach Wheeler. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs. The bullpen certainly did not do their job. 
Ekdoranaris winds up giving up three runs over the course of an inning. Tommy Hunter, who I don't know why he keeps getting opportunities. He now has an 831 ERA. He gives up two runs over the course of an inning as well. And then getting the loss, Delios Guetta. He winds up going one inning. He gave up two runs, but one of those was a ghost runner as well. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, Jay Bruce, his third home run of the campaign. Bryce Harper is fourth, and Gene Segura is second. The Philadelphia Phillies, by the way, all of a sudden are playing a whole bunch of overs. They have now played three out of their last four games to the over, and it should be four out of four if it wasn't for Freddie Freeman stupidly trying to tag up in the first game of that double dip. If you could tell, I'm still a little bit salty. Mad Max Scherzer looked a little bit better for the Washington Nationals on Tuesday. The Nationals wind up getting a 2-1 to win. Looked a little bit shaky to start with, but for Scherzer, he winds up going six innings. He gives up one run in the process. From there, you had Daniel Hudson along with Taylor Rainey and Javi Guerra being able to give three scoreless innings for this bunch. And for the Washington Nationals, trade Turner down for what? Got a leadoff home run, his third of the campaign, and that would be important because they wound up getting another run in the second inning, and that was it. Rick Porcello actually a solid start. Six innings pitch. He gets up that solo home run, but he gives up just two runs in the process. Jared Hughes, two scoreless innings. And Edwin Diaz didn't completely let the game on fire. He winds up going an inning and doesn't give up a single earned run. And for the Mets, 0-4 with runners in scoring position. Not a lot doing for them on offense. And the Mets all of a sudden have just been a wild and crazy team. They have been just playing a bevy of overs and unders. But if you take a look at it, they have now played four runs or fewer in eight out of their last ten games. So this is an offense that's not firing all cylinders. We all know about the trials and tribulations of this team, and I think that that's putting it as politely as possible. I'm going to try to put it as politely as possible for the Detroit Tigers. The pitching was not good on Tuesday. They wind up losing to the Chicago White Sox by kind of 8-4. to four. For the Southsiders, they were able to get some power in this one. Edwin Encarnacion gets his second home run of the campaign, and then Eli Jimenez is fourth as the White Sox wind up striking for four in the first inning. That wound up really putting the team behind the eight ball as you had Tyler Alexander go three and two-thirds innings. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned, including those two home runs. Open from there was not necessarily bad. Carson Fulmer, he's just a guy that you can't rely upon. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of an inning. Ronnie Garcia, who's already on starts, two and a third innings, and he gave up one run. He's been a solid piece for this team. And then you had for the Detroit Tigers, Austin Romine being able to get a home run off of Gio Gonzalez, someone who it just seemed like it was a little bit lost. His second of the campaign for Mr. Gonzalez. He gives up two runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. Really had to evade danger in order for it to not be worse. And then from there, for the Southsiders, you wound up having a couple runs given up out of the bullpen by Ian Hamilton. He goes a third of an inning and he gives up those two runs. But guys like Steve Ciszek, Matt Foster, who wound up starting a game in the team's last series against the Indians, they wound up being able to do their job, so the White Sox are able to get the win in that one. The Tampa Bay Rays just completely lambaste the Boston Red Sox. 8-2 the final in this one. For the Rays, they erupt with a touchdown minus the extra point in the seventh inning as Mr. Martin Perez, not a terrible start here for the Boston Red Sox. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up two runs. Austin Bryce just completely sunk this team. Five runs given up in two-thirds of an inning. From there, you wound up having Robert Stock give up an unearned run. So he was hurt a little bit by the fielding. He winds up giving up one of those over the course of one and a third innings. And then when you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a bunch that they were able to get a home run off of Mark Bruseo. His start of the campaign, they came off of Martin Perez, but they were really just playing small ball. Four of seven with runners in scoring position. And they wound up going with a bullpen game in this one. Andrew Kittredge even gave less length than you'd expect from a bullpen starter sort of game. He winds up recording one out, and then he left with an injury, so he wound up recording a grand total of five pitches. So then from there, John Curtis 
Two S's on Curtis, by the way. Doing two-thirds innings, he gives up one run. Jose Alvarado was able to give a little bit of length. He went two innings, and then from there, you had a bunch of guys give this team one inning. They give up a combined two earned runs, so they were able to do their part there as for the Boston Red Sox. This is a team that they had opportunities, but they went two of eight with runners in scoring position. They weren't able to generate a whole lot. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, all of a sudden, this is a team that they're starting to play some overs. This number closed anywhere between 9.5 and, and 10. So a lot of people wound up getting a push on this one. But with that said, all of a sudden, this is a team that they've only played one under in their last five games. I think that that's the best way of putting it. So they certainly were able to get the job done there. And the Giants were able to get the job done as well. They've been doing a solid job as underdogs so far here in 2020. They took down the Houston Astros by kind of 7-6. For the Houston Astros, they were able to get a pretty solid start in this one. You wound up having Brandon Bielak go five innings. He gave up two runs in the process. This is a bullpen that is just absolutely terrible, though. Enoli Padres winds up giving up one run. He wound up going one and two-thirds innings. You had Blake Taylor give up two runs. He recorded just one out. And then Ryan Presley wound up giving up a run as well. He was using back-to-back days. Cy Snead wound up coming in in the 10th inning. We remember our good buddy Patrick Creighton saying that he was not going to be used too much in high-leverage situations. He was here, and it didn't pay off. We all figured that that would happen because it's Cy Snead. And for the Houston Astros, Alex Bregman looks to be getting online. He was able to get his fourth home run in the campaign. As for the San Francisco Giants. Tyler Anderson, not a bad start. He wound up giving up that home run to Alex Bregman. Gives up four runs over the course of five innings, but how about this bullpen? You had Wandy Peralta, Sean Alexander, Trevor Gott, along with Tyler Rogers, all being able to provide a scoreless inning for this bunch. And then you had coming out of the bullpen, Rico Garcia. He winds up giving up two runs in two-thirds of an inning, but for the San Francisco Giants, a team that has been playing quite a few overs so far this year, Hunter Pence, who had been doing nothing up until this point, he winds up being able to get his first home run of the campaign, and then one Wilmer Flores was able to get his fourth home run of the season. And by the way, you do have to note, Donovan Solano not in the fold in this one. He wound up getting the day off. He's still hitting above the 400 as well. So that's what we all noticed from the MLB on Tuesday. Now let's talk to our good buddy Dan Zaborski about what he's noticed so far this year. Just take a look at how guys are just not hitting well, despite the fact that they're putting the ball in play. What has been causing this? Are we going to just have a wide range of chat with our man Dan next right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast? Myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson. Always great to be joined by this next guest. He does absolutely terrific work with Fangrass and ESPN. You can catch him on Twitter at DZimborski, and that last name is spelled S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. He does absolutely terrific work, and He's a man that he grew up a Baltimore Orioles fan. So, you know what? Things have actually looked up a little bit more for those Baltimore Orioles. And, Dan, it is always great to get you on the podcast. How are you? Thanks for having me. We always have fun. Yes, we certainly do. And it certainly has been a fun start to the year. What have you made out of all of it? Because it certainly has been a little bit helter-skelter. But what we've noticed is that a lot of these underdog teams, especially teams that Let's face it, we thought we are going to be towards the bottom of the divisions like the Miami Marlins and the Baltimore Orioles. They've actually proved to be pretty solid, including the Detroit Tigers, who out there in the AL Central somehow, someway have a winning record. I'm not sure if we specifically talked about this issue last time we spoke, but I've talked regularly about how, you know, in a 60-game season, weird things can happen. And, I mean, we're, you know, a quarter of the way through the season for most teams, unless you're the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. In, in a 60-game season, I mean, the Orioles or the Marlins, they had real chances at making the playoffs in a system like this. You start off, you know, winning 7 of 10, 
when you're when that's 60 games, that's a much bigger deal this year than it would be in, you know, any other season. I think that the Marlins, you know, they have some high spots. The pitching has been excellent, and that always was their chance for upside. And uh, they haven't even really gotten all that much offense. I can't even say they're overachieving in that way. I'm more skeptical about, say, the Orioles. I don't think that team is very deep at all. It's still pretty lacking in talent. It's a nice ride so far, and we'll see how far it goes. It certainly has been an interesting start to the year. And then when you just take a look at it in general, we mentioned the St. Louis Cardinals and the fact that they've played like 10 games fewer than everyone else. How would you handle something like this? And how do you gauge the St. Louis Cardinals? Because you got to think that once they get out there on the field, they're probably going to have like zero days off for the rest of the year. They're just going to be playing straight. They're probably going to have double headers in there. And you got to think that if they do wind up even getting to 55 games, let's not even throw out their 60, let's throw out their 55 games. They are just going to be gassed by the end of that run. And it really just puts them a little bit behind the eight ball because I don't know any pitching staff that would be able to just pretty much handle the sort of schedule that the Cardinals are probably going to have to once they get back into action. Yeah, I mean, they're 12 or 13 games behind some teams and number of games played. And I think realistically, they're not going to be able to make them all up. If I'm the front office for the Cardinals, any solution that involves making up those games I'm not sure I'd really be interested in doing what's required to make that happen in such a weird, broken season. I don't think, you know, playoffs or a World Series victory mean as much in 2020 as they normally do. I mean, we have 16 teams making the playoffs in a 60-game season. At that point, it's almost random, especially compared to a normal season, which I also feel there's too many playoff teams, but this is a little on the extreme side. I think if I'm the Cardinals, I don't think I'd want the league to, you know, end my season, but I think... As I play these games, I'm more interested in finding out things about my players for 2021 than trying to put the best team on the field right now. I'm not going to, you know, burn my starting pictures constantly. I'm going to see how the back of my 60-man pool looks like, activate as many of those guys who we have questions of who are missing a minor league season, and get them some real play time. That's what I would do with the Cardinals and for MLB, there's not really many good options. It's hard to tell the Cardinals that, you know, your season's over, you're just not going to be eligible for the postseason. And it's hard to not do that because it's also very difficult for teams that play the Cardinals that miss games. I think that if you didn't have the Cardinals in the season, you could largely have the teams missing those games play against each other at those times. It's the kind of year where you don't really have great answers. It's just trying to figure out what the least terrible solution is. Yeah, I'm right there with you. The least terrible solution is the one that you have to ride with, as we do have Dan Zaborski of Fangrats joining me on the podcast. And you speak about the pitching. We were talking about this as well. I was bringing up the fact that no pitching staff would be able to handle what the Cardinals might have to get to just to be able to make it to 55 games. But what have you made out of these starters going a little bit, I guess you could call them shorter in some of these starts. But at the same time, we have noticed that a lot of unexpected guys have wound up making some appearances, and some of these guys have actually not been too bad. When you take a look at some of these guys for the Kansas City Royals, like Brady Singer, even to a lesser extent, Mr. Chris Bubich, who I think is one of the most interesting last names I've ever seen in my life, but some of these guys have actually been able to show themselves quite well, and I thought that the bats would be out a little bit more in front of the pitchers than what they are this year. 
Yeah, in fact, I mean, the bats are a little behind. It's most notably, if you look at the batting average on balls in play, it is way down compared to previous seasons. Last I checked was, was a few days ago. It was in the 270s. And it's normally, you know, the mid to high 290s, sometimes around 300. And that's pretty weird. It's made batting averages incredibly low around the league, even lower than we've seen in recent years. I actually think that the Royals are doing a good thing in they're letting some of these guys get some time, like, you know, Bubich Singer, those players, because... That's the future, not not some of the guys already on the team. And so it's good to see as much of them as, as you can because you don't have a minor league season. Yeah, the Royals still have a chance to make the playoffs, but I think that I wouldn't do anything. And I mean, I still want to win and make the playoffs, but I don't think I'd do anything this year that would actually hurt anything in 2021 or onward. I do agree with you there, and the Royals certainly are a team that is building for the future, but going into Tuesday, actually, we're riding a nice winning streak as well, so I think that that's obviously been very fascinating, and then you take a look at some of these teams that they are going to be hampered by injuries. We saw with the Atlanta Braves, Mike Soroka last week winds up going down with that just absolutely terrible injury. Achilles is going to be keeping him out for a year plus. You've got the Washington Nationals. Max Scherzer winds up going back to the mound against the New York Mets, but I was taking a look at the early pitches that he was throwing in that game just didn't necessarily look like himself. I think that this was to be expected with this short ramp up time. You wound up having a three week summer camp, but for more of these teams, because of testing, what have you, it was more like two and a half weeks. Some of these teams didn't wind up playing any games against other teams. Some of these teams, they wound up having as many as three games. And I do think that the ramp up time certainly is having a little bit of an effect because you can tell that some of these guys are just getting injured very easily. And it's really testing the depth of a lot of these teams earlier than you'd expect. I mean, one of the things about this offseason is that nobody knows how to prepare for a season like this one. We've never had a situation where, you know, we had a normal offseason, then half a spring training, and then three months of nothing, and then another weird abbreviated spring training, and, you know, a deadly pandemic floating above all this. We don't really know how to keep pitchers healthy in the best of times. I know over the years, teams have generally tried to keep pitchers healthier by, you know, not ragging them hard as, as much as they normally do. But we still haven't figured out how to actually, you know, prevent injuries to that degree. Everybody gets injured sooner or later, it seems. And in a year like this, teams are going to be cautious. But even the excess of caution isn't going to save things for pictures. We're going to lose pictures to injury. And it stinks. But, I mean, that's a game, unfortunately. I do agree with you, as we have Dan Zaborski joining me on the podcast. And then I have to get your take on this, because we have seen some... I'll call it questionable managing so far this year from some of these managers. Gabe Kapler, a couple days ago, he had Kevin Gosman rolling against the L.A. Dodgers. He winds up giving up like one hit in the sixth inning after 80 pitches. He winds up getting pulled. Predictably, the Giants wind up getting just completely lambasted the rest of the game. We've seen it with Chris Shelton with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I have no idea what they're doing with their pitching staff, by the way. Steven Brault was a solid starter during the 2019 season. He obviously had a little bit of a fall-off towards the end of the year, but during the summer, he was doing some solid things. He was piggybacking with Chad Cool. That obviously was not going as planned, and it seems like every time the Pirates have something good going with their pitching, they pull him out for some guy you've never heard of, and then all of a sudden, the game goes awry. What have you made out of the managing with both the Giants and the Pittsburgh Pirates? Because right now, I think it's really holding both of these teams back. Yeah, I think Kepler's done some things well. He's kind of used the larger roster well in terms of the offensive lineup, which probably isn't, you know, surprising. He was a hitter, not a pitcher. So he probably has a better feel for that kind of lineup balancing. I think there's been, you know, some poor managing this year, but I try not to draw too many conclusions in a year like this just because everything's so different. 
everyone's just trying to figure out, you know, the best way to get through the season. The pirates, I mean, they're at the start of a rebuild, and they can't do a lot of the common rebuilding type things. But I mean, any season in which Derek Holland is leading your team in innings pitched, you know, oh. things aren't going well. Oh, and he winds up giving up four home runs in the first inning of his last start. Still went 112 pitches in that start. That was just something that you don't want to see. The Pittsburgh Pirates 3-13. and 13. They're walking the plank to dead last right now in the NL Central. And that's with the St. Louis Cardinals currently in that division. If you're looking win percentage, it certainly has been bad. And is there just anything in general that has really surprised you from this 2020 season so far? Because for me, if I'm looking at one big surprise, it is the Colorado Rockies. Because typically, they've got just such unique home-to-road splits. So far this year, going into Tuesday, 11-5 and record. They've been doing a great job on the road. At home, really, aside from Monday, they've done a very solid job of pitching. And that's really something that has stood out to me as something that I just really didn't see coming. I think what surprised me is how much the Cubs have shown a pulse oh, this yeah. year. It looked like a really lackluster team in 2019. They're firing on a lot of cylinders right now. Even Chatwood has had better control. He's only walked four guys and... I think 15, 16 innings, and I know his FIP is below his ERA, but they've gotten mostly good pitching with the most notable exception of Craig Kimbrell, who's oh. just been a mess. Craig Kimbrell, if you want to gift to describe Craig Kimbrell, I would say when you see those like two people with the money pile and they're just shoveling the money into a big giant furnace, that is Craig Kimbrell right now. He is a human version of that. I have no idea what happened to him because I don't know if you're able to explain this to me, but I, this guy's completely <laughs> unnoticeable. He shaved the beard, so that's part of it as well. But with that said, this guy was dominant a few years ago. You felt like he maybe lost something in that 2018 playoff run, but for him to go from perhaps the greatest closer on earth about three years ago to having an ERA going into Tuesday north of 20, <laughs> unexplainable. <laughs> It's a real mess. I guess the good news for the Cubs is that they only really, you know, left him as the closer for three games. They did react fairly quickly because, you know, some teams would stick with the veteran way too long, wait like a month of this to let this happen. Like we've seen with the Rockies and Wade Davis, who they've really given, you know, more than a year of this before they really started thinking, hey, you know, maybe this isn't a good idea. Most people, you know, only put their hands on the stove once or maybe like twice at most. To the Cubs' credit, they have reacted fairly quickly to Kimbrell. To tell what's going on, it's not like his velocity is like 10, mile per hour is off, 10 miles per hour off. I said 10 miles per hour. <laughs> I'm ashamed of it, but I own it. Like, that was like like Fultinovich's problem with the velocity. So I don't know what fixes Kimbrell. Yeah, I don't know either. And, I mean, we're right now in a league in which Fernando Rodney got picked up by the Houston Astros. I have no idea how, but we've got Fernando Rodney. <laughs> I know that you've been... A stand for Mr. Fernando Rodney because it means that you still have a chance at the majors because he was the one guy during the 2019 season that was older than you. So it meant that you still have yeah. a chance at the major league. So I know that you're very happy about that. And I know that you're very happy to be able to be writing about baseball once again every day for fan graphs. I know that you guys are doing yeah, your level somebody. best. I know that you also contribute for ESPN. And I know that over at fan graphs, you guys do need some people to maybe buy some memberships, help you guys out a little bit since obviously the pandemic has been a little bit rough. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what you're all doing in general. You can follow me at DZimborski on Twitter. I pronounce Zimborski. It's easier to pronounce than Voltanevich, which I can never pronounce on the first go. Rodney, I can pronounce on the Yay. first go. So that's another reason to like him. Tomorrow I have a piece coming out about Trevor Bauer's early season success. I'm looking at the batting average and balls and play issue. 
And I'm going to do another Zips Time Warp this week. And I haven't decided who I'm going to use yet, but someone will get a Zips Time Warp. We have avoided having a paywall model, but in a time like this, with traffic being down a ton when there was no baseball, that does hurt the site and it makes it harder to keep things going. So we appreciate anyone who can. I mean, a lot of people can't right now, and we don't want anyone who can't contribute to contribute but any membership and get the ads removed all that's very appreciated and i can tell you right now fangraphs is a go-to site for me to be able to look at all these analytics and pump out all the information that i do dan and so many others at that website do an absolutely terrific job and we always appreciate dan being on this podcast whether it be to talk about balls in play or to talk about fernand oh no Rodney, so a big thanks to Dan Zaborski for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the Wednesday MLB betting board as we touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on Wednesday's MLB Betting Board as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GRSquarty1. As per usual, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and just keep in mind there are a couple games that are off the board, so I will do my best to point you in the right direction on those. This begins with 901-902 on the betting board. The Detroit Tigers are going to be playing us to the Chicago White Sox. Dylan Cease goes for the Sox. Meanwhile, Matthew Boyd is on the bump for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game is anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 9, the under is anywhere between minus 120, minus 125. Over is anywhere between even and plus 105. Meanwhile, on the 8.5, your over is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 115. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between even and minus 105. As you're taking a look at the White Sox, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. And the Tigers, anywhere between even money and plus 105. With Matthew Boyd, he certainly has given up the long ball ever since the beginning of the second half of the 2019 season. So after the All-Star break, he's giving up an average of 2.5 home runs per nine innings with an ERA above five. He certainly has not been good. That is putting it very politely. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you're able to get out of Dylan Cease. He was able to give a good performance in his last start. I will say that. He wound up going... Six plus innings, he did not give up a single earned run. With that said, he had to evade a whole, whole lot of danger in order to get there. He's 2-1 with a 4.05 ERA, but his fielding independent is a little bit worse. 13 and a third innings, he's wound up giving up three home runs, six walks, nine punch-outs in the process. That is not necessarily a recipe for success. But the good news for him is that he is backed up by a White Sox team that is in the top two in the American League when it comes to team batting average. They're hitting right around 260 as a collective, and they've got right around 21 home runs. They're dealing with Tim Anderson currently being out of the fold, but Eloy Jimenez was able to get a home run for the team yesterday, and you've got Luis Robert, who is hitting a 280. I like what he's able to bring to the table. You've got Jose Abreu. It's been a little bit up and down this year, but seems like he's starting to find it. He wound up having three hits in that win on Tuesday. You've got Juan Moncada, who does a good job of being able to get on base. Yasmani Grandal has been an upgrade at the catcher spot. And then you've even got these guys like Adam Engel, James McCann and company. They're certainly able to come through for you. You also have Edwin Encarnacion back in the fold. Meanwhile, for the Detroit Tigers, they've done a good job of being able to revamp their lineup. Jonathan Scope, along with CJ Crone, came over in the offseason. Now, Crone wound up getting the day off on Tuesday, so you want to be checking his status, but 
with scope, he wound up being able to hit 20 plus home runs for Minnesota during the 2019 season. Nico Goodrum has been doing an okay job at the top, hitting right around a 240 along with Jameer Candelario. This is a bunch that they were quite awful on offense during the 2019 season. Now you've got Jacoby Jones and Austin Romine doing a better job. Both of these guys are hitting a 300. And with the Tigers, this is a team that they certainly had to dig into the bullpen in their loss on Tuesday. That is something that is going to hurt for the White Sox. They are not going to have Aaron Bummer available because, well, it was a bummer. The fact that he wound up getting injured during the team series last week against the Cleveland Indians. So that no doubt is going to hurt this team. And I don't think that Dylan Cease is necessarily going to give a great start, but I think that Matthew Boyd gets lit up as well. I think that this is a spot in which both these teams could be scoring five plus runs all by themselves. I think that the White Sox have a little bit more firepower in this spot and a little bit more of a trustworthy bullpen. So we're taking the over and we're taking the White Sox. 903-904 on the betting board is a game that's going to be postponed. Pittsburgh Pirates against the St. Louis Cardinals. Unfortunately, that is not going to happen. So we go to 905-906. It is going to be the Colorado Rockies playing OC Arizona Diamondbacks. Luke Weaver goes for the D-backs. Meanwhile, Antonio Sensatella is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. If you're taking a look at this total, it is currently at 12 with the under anywhere between minus 120 and minus 110. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere between even and minus 110. Seeing some 11 and halfs out there, you're going to be paying a premium on the juice there. The over of 11 and a half is anywhere between minus 120, minus 125, and the under is anywhere between even and plus 105. And if you're looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Colorado Rockies are anywhere between even a plus 105. And with Luke Weaver, it has been a very, very rough start to the year. He enters with an ERA north of nine. He just hasn't really been able to find the zone in general. He's went 10 and a third innings in his three starts. He has given up six walks, which is not good. Five home runs. And now he goes to Coors Field, a place in which balls just really go to get crushed, but I will say this. If you're taking a look at Luke Weaver during the 2019 season, he gave up less than a home run per nine innings. He should be able to stabilize. And with Antonio Sensatella, you've got to feel like regression is going to be coming in here. He wound up having more around four and a half strikeouts per nine innings during the 2019 season. He was giving up more than a home run and a half per nine innings. So far in 17 innings this year, over the course of three starts, he's gotten 14 punch outs and he's only given up one home run. I think that that is something that is going to change. And with the years in the Diamondbacks, this is a bunch that they certainly did not necessarily get the best bullpen support on Tuesday, but I will say for the Arizona Diamondbacks, the long relief has actually been good. The short relief, the guys that come in for one inning, they certainly have not been aside from really Archie Bradley. And for the Colorado Rockies, this is a team that has actually a pretty stout bullpen, but I do think that Sensatella is a guy that after having an ERA north of a 5-5 in 2019 is due in for a little bit of a tough showing. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks lineup, they are starting to get it going a little bit. Cole Calhoun has certainly not been able to hit for average and he wound up getting the day off on Tuesday, but this is someone that's got four home runs you also have to like the Marte party. Gattel and Starling Marte, both hitting above a 315. That has been huge for this team. David Peralta's out all of a sudden hitting above a 300. Christian Walker has been able to give this team a little bit of something. Only one home run, but he's got an on-base percentage right around a 333. Now, you need a couple of these guys to get going. Nick Ahmad, Tim LaCastro, Carson Kelly, Eduardo Escobar, all hitting below the Mendoza line, which is 200. Meanwhile, for the Colorado Rockies, Charlie Blackman's hitting a 500 right now. I'm not even kidding. He's hitting a 500 with an on-base percentage above a 527. This is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know what more to tell you other than this guy is absolutely awesome. Nolan Arenado has gotten off to a little bit of a rough start to the year, but all of a sudden he's picking it up. He's gotten four home runs so far this year. You've got Daniel Murphy hitting above a 350 right now. Matt Kemp has been a little bit up and down, and then you've got guys like Tony Walters that need to pick it up. But by and large, you've got two offenses that I think are trending in the right direction. This is a spot in which I think Luke Weaver is going to do a little bit better than what he's performed to begin the year. There's no 
real way he can go down too much from an ERA of a 1219. I think that regression is doing for Antonio Sensatella. I think that it's going to be a long day for the Rockies bullpen. So I'm going to go with this total over and we're going to ride with Arizona in this spot. We move on to game number 907-908 on the bang board. The Oakland A's are going to be hitting the road to face off against the LA Angels. Chris Bassett has you hook, line, and sinker for the Oakland A's. Meanwhile, it is going to be one Griffin Canning who's going to be going for the Angels. Your total on this game is nine, and if you're looking at the nine, the over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 110. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Seeing a straight nine and a half out there as well. With the nine and a half, under is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125, and the over is anywhere between even and minus 105. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the LA Angels, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 110 and minus 117. That makes the A's anywhere between plus 107 and even. I think that this is going to be a very interesting spot because I like what Chris Bassett is able to bring to the table. This is someone that he's made three starts so far this year, 1-0-8 ERA. He's not necessarily getting as many strikeouts as last year, but he's done a better job of he's keeping the ball in the yard. Last year, he was giving up more around like 1.3-ish home runs per nine innings. So far, zero given up. He's only issued four walks. That has been good for him. Meanwhile, with Griffin Canning, this is someone that he's going to put you on base. He does a good job of being able to reduce the hard contact. He gets a bunch of strikeouts right around 10 punch outs per nine innings, but he's given out 10 walks in 14 and a third innings. That is going to hurt this team because with the LA Angels, if there's one thing that you can't rely on with this team, it is a bullpen. The bullpen is just not very good. The Oakland A's have by far the superior bullpen in this one, but it has gone badly taxed. Mike Fires winds up not even being able to make it out of the fourth inning in the team start on Tuesday. On Monday, you wind up having Sean Manea give this team a little bit of a dud. And with the Oakland A's, you've got Ramon Loreno currently appealing a suspension. And this is an A's team that they do a much better job of hitting left-handed pitchers and right-handed pitchers. With Griffin Canning, he is a right-handed pitcher, so that is certainly going to hurt a little bit. And if you're taking a look at the Oakland A's, you've got really two guys that are hitting above a 275 right now. That'd be Tony Kemp along with Robbie Grossman. Chris Crush Davis, along with Allen at the catcher spot, Marcus Simeon, Matt Olson, all these guys are hitting a 215 or lower. Ramon Loreno has been able to get an on-base percentage of 400, but then you take a look at the LA Angels, all of a sudden, Mike Trout is raking. He's got six home runs since coming off of paternity leave. I don't think anyone is surprised by that. Anthony Rendon has been able to do a better job as well. Home runs in two of the team's last three contests, still ending up buck 78, but a 413 on base percentage. Shohei Otani seems to be picking up a little bit. Now, Albert Pujols is He's hitting a buck 80 right now. You can't rely upon him. And Justin Upton is hitting like a buck 15. That's absolutely terrible. But Brian Goodwin along with David Fletcher at the top and bottom of the lineup have both been doing a good job of getting on base. At least a 365 on base for both of these guys. But I do think that the A's have a couple bullets in the chamber to be able to get the job done when it comes to the bullpen. And I do think that this is a spot in which Griffin Canning is just going to give up a couple too many walks. I certainly don't think that there's going to be a lot of hard contact by the Oakland A's. So I will say out here in LA because this is going to be a matinee game. This is a ballpark that plays vastly different day to night, so you are going to see the ball fly a little bit more, but I do think that this is a spot in which we see a little bit of a lower scoring game, and we see the A's being able to get the job done. So we're going to be going with Oakland in this spot, and we're going to be going with this total under. 909-910 on the bang board is up next. The Cleveland Indians are going to be playing us to the Chicago Cubs. One Carlos Carrasco is going to be going for the Cleveland Indians. Meanwhile, Kyle Hendrick is going to be going for the Chicago Cubs. Your total on this game is 8. The over and the under are both at minus 110. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Indians, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 125 and minus 135. Meanwhile, your price here on the Cubs is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 125. 
The splits are real for Kyle Hendrick. We saw him have just an absolutely terrific start to the year. That complete game shutout against Milwaukee Brewers at home. On the road, he then gets shelled by the Cincinnati Reds. This is what he was during the 2019 season. In 2019, home ERA was below a 225. On the road, that ballooned to just below 5. So, you certainly want to keep that in mind with Cleveland Indians. This is a team that... Let's face it, they're not necessarily doing the best job of hitting. Francisco Lindor needs to get up his batting average. It certainly has been not doing the best. It's been below 240 pretty much the entire year. But you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Jose Ramirez. He's been doing a solid job. He's hitting right around 257 with four home runs. And then if you're looking for a little bit more of a bright spot, Famio Reyes has been able to do a little bit of a better job of getting on base. He got off to a rough start to the year. Now he's hitting more in the neighbor of a 262, which has been big because ever since he got to Cleveland, he hasn't necessarily been the best fit. But then you take a look at the Santana. Carlos and Domingo. Both of these guys are hitting below a 200. Now, I will say for Carlos Santana, 453 on base despite hitting a buck 96. And for Domingo, he's got a 341 on base with a 171 average. Not sure how that occurs, but Oscar Mercado is hitting a buck 19 right now. I have no idea how, but it's just absolutely terrible. Brady Zimmer is hitting just above a 200 right now as well. Delano DeShields Jr. has been doing a solid job of getting on base, but you've got a bunch of guys that they're just flat out not hitting right now. And then you take a look at the Chicago Cubs. This is a bunch that they've been able to do a very solid job of being able to get on base. You've got Javi Baez is hitting right around at 255. He's able to supply a little bit of pop. Jason Hayward got off to a rough start to the year, but he winds up going deep for the team on Tuesday. You've also got Jason Kipnis who's hitting at 268. I like what he brings to the table along with Victor Carantini with him hitting right around at 286. and Happ is hitting at 3 25. You've got a couple guys that need to pick it up with their batting average and Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, but both these guys have been able to supply some power, especially Rizzo and with Chris Bryant. Got off to a really bad start to the year. He's starting to pick it up a little bit, and I will say this for the Cleveland Indians. They have played three overs so far this year in 18 games. Two of those were in Carlos Carrasco home starts. With Carlos Carrasco, he is someone that does a great job of getting swings and misses. Always has been above 10 punch outs per nine innings. He's got 23 in 18 innings so far this year, but he's also good given up three home runs in those 18 innings, and we know this with Carlos Carrasco. He is going to be giving up the long ball a little bit, so I do think that this is going to be a bit of a higher scoring game, but I think that the Cleveland Indians get right against Kyle Hendricks, who just does not pitch well on the road. So for that reason, we are going to be going with this total over and also riding with the Cleveland Indians. It's going to take a little bit to get used to this. 9-11, 9-12, and the betting board is up next. We go to Buffalo, where the Toronto Blue Jays are playing host of the Miami Marlins. A team based out there in Canada is playing their home games in Buffalo, New York. There's that. But you've got Jordan Yamimoto going for the Miami Marlins. Meanwhile, Nate Pearson is going to be going for the Toronto Blue Jays. If you're looking at the Blue Jays, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 157 and minus 170. Meanwhile, your plus price here on the fish is anywhere between plus 160 and plus 145 with your total on this game 8.5. With the 8.5, the over and under are both at minus 110. And with Mr. Yamimoto, he was actually pretty solid during the 2019 season, but I will say this in his first start of 2020 he certainly did not look solid it was a win against the Baltimore Orioles for the team but he wound up coming out there and he wound up getting a little bit shellacked and we know this both these bullpens are quite a bit taxed because they wound up going to extra innings in their just wild and crazy game on Tuesday for Yamimoto he wound up going four innings and giving up four runs in that first start meanwhile with Pearson I like what I've seen out of him he's won two starts 10 total innings he's got 10 punch outs out of the five walks are a little bit high but he's got electrifying stuff he doesn't give up a lot of contact and with the Miami Marlins this is a bunch that They've been really relying upon the home run ball in order to get their offense going. Asus Aguiar is four of them. He's hitting a 282. And Brett Anderson hitting a little bit above 300. He's went deep three times so far this campaign. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, Tasker Hernandez has been really good for this bunch. I like the way that he's hitting 278 batting average, four home runs for him. Boba Shett has been able to pick things up as well. 
He got a home run in that team's win on Tuesday as well. He's been able to give the team a trio of those. And you've got a couple guys who are starting to pick it up with the batting average. Lourdes Goriel sitting right around at 280. Randall Gritchick at 265. Now you've got a few guys that need to pick it up. Danny Jansen, Joe Panic, along with Anthony Alford are all hitting a buck 61 or lower. And I will say Vlad Guerrero Jr. is a little bit up and down, 222 batting average. But I do think that this is a good spot after the Miami Marlins really did have to deep dive into their bullpen. They wound up having to use five guys out of the pen. So they're going to be a little bit taxed there. I think that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to get an okay start here from Nate Pearson. I don't know how great it's going to be, but I do think that there's going to be quite a few runs on the board. It seems like this ballpark out there in Buffalo is a little bit more hitter friendly as well. It's easier to drive the ball out of than, say, a average MLB ballpark since it is originally for AAA baseball. So I'm going to go with this little over and I'm going to ride with the Toronto Blue Jays thinking that Nate Pearson is going to be able to give a little bit of a better start in this spot than Mr. Yamimoto. We move on to 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board. You've got the Kansas City Royals and they they are on to Cincinnati as they hit the road face off against the Reds. Wade Miley is hoping to have a party in the USA and a party in Cincinnati, and he's going to be going for the Reds. Meanwhile, Brad Keller is going to be going for the Kansas City Royals. If you're looking at this total, it is currently 9 across the board, but it is heavily shaded to the over. The over is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between even and plus 105. Seeing some 9.5s pop up there as well. The under on 9.5 is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even and minus 105, and I even see a minus 130 on an over of 9 as well. And if you're looking at the Reds, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 117 and minus 130. Meanwhile, with the Royals, you're going to be finding them as high as plus 120, but that seems to be coming down a little bit as I see as low as a plus 107 out there. And with Brad Keller, what I like about him is that he doesn't give up to any home runs. During the 2019 campaign, he was in the top 10 when it comes to fewest home runs given up per nine innings among qualified starters. Meanwhile, with Wade Miley, he had a terrific start to 2019 and then the bottom really fell out on him and he's made one start so far this year and boy, did it not go as planned. He winds up just getting absolutely shellacked. One and two-thirds innings. The ERA is currently at a 27, which is impressively bad. So you've got that going on for the Cincinnati Reds. And then we are taking a look at the flip side. I do think that this is a Kansas City Royals bunch that is really getting a lot out of Whit Merrifield. I like the fact that he winds up having four home runs in about a 14-day time span. So he's been able to pick it up with that regard. You've also got Jorge Soler who wound up having... 48 home runs during the 2019 campaign. He's already got five so far this year. Salvador Perez has been a huge addition, not just at the plate, but also when it comes to being able to help out this young pitching staff as well. He's hitting a 311. That's absolutely huge. And for the Cincinnati Reds, Nick Cassianos has been able to hit for this team, but you haven't been able to get a whole lot behind him with Cassianos. He's got like seven home runs so far this year. He's been able to do a great job. Jesse Winker has emerged a little bit. He's got a home run in back-to-back days. He's hitting a little bit above a 300. And for Joey Votto, he gets on base, 361 on base. But he's only hitting at 220. You got guys like Kirk Casale, along with someone like a Jim Danikowski. Josh Van Meter, list goes on and on. These guys are just not doing a good job of being able to get on to save their lives. And with the Kansas City Royals, surprisingly, the bullpen has not been terrible for them. I'd be lying to you if I said that it was absolutely magnificent, but I think that this is a good spot here for a Kansas City Royals team that entered into Tuesday actually on a four-game win streak. And with the Cincinnati Reds, they wound up making a bunch of acquisitions during the offseason, but with Mike Moussakis being on the injured list along with Pedro Strope, it certainly hurts his team. So for that reason, we are going to be going with the Kansas City Royals in this spot, and I'm going to be riding this total over as well. 
916 on the betting board is up next. We've got a game that is presently off the board as it is the Atlanta Bravos in the road face off against the New York Yankees. According to everything I'm seeing right now, it's going to be one Masahiro Tanaka going for the New York Yankees. Meanwhile, for the Atlanta Braves, it is good old to be determined, which is why this game is presently off the board with the Braves. It looks like they might be winding up going with just seeing this pop up right now. Huskar Yanoa, you may remember that name because you know what? He wound up getting the open and won the team's doubleheader games against the Philadelphia Phillies on Sunday. He went two and a third innings and he wound up giving up one run. And if this is the case, I'm probably going to be taking a look at a Yankees run line in the spot and probably an over. You take a look at what the Yankees were able to do to the Atlanta Braves on Tuesday. They were able to put nine runs on the board. Now with the New York Yankees, bullpen is starting to be a little bit shaky and you did have to use Zach Britton, but he only had to go six pitches, so you should have him available. Adam Adovino went 12 pitches, so he's going to be out there as well, but they're going to be working on back-to-back days. Meanwhile, for the New York Yankees, Aaron Judge has been judged during executioner. League-leading nine home runs so far this year. Luke Voigt has been able to give you five as well. And for Voigt, he's got an on-base percentage of a 333, but how about DJ LeMahieu hitting a 400? Gio Urshela hitting just below a 290. Both these guys have been constants for this team. And then you've also got Guys like Glaber Torres, we need to pick it up. Glaber Torres, Brett Gardner, both these guys hitting below the Mendoza line. You've also got someone in Tyler Wade that has a little bit of upside, but he's also hitting below a 200. And for the Atlanta Braves, this is an offense that they can certainly get going as well. You had Marcel Ozuna being able to give the team his fourth home run of the campaign on Tuesday. He's hitting right around 275. Got a couple guys that they certainly are lacking when it comes to batting average. That would be Yoan Camargo along with Ender Enciarte and Adam Duvall all hitting below a 200. But you've got Dansby Swanson. He's come back to earth a little bit, but he and Freddie Freeman both hitting between a 254 and a 266. You've also certainly been able to get something out of Tyler Flowers. He is hitting right around a 375. And even Travis Arno, I don't know why so many teams have given up on him. He was able to hit a home run a few days ago. He's been hitting above a 300 as well. I do like the Atlanta Braves lineup. I don't like the fact that they've got a very young gentleman who's probably not going to go north of three innings in this spot. And when you take a look at Yanoa, he wasn't even good at the minor league level a few years ago as well. I think that this is an Atlanta Braves team that after their bullpen got badly taxed on Tuesday, they're going to be giving up a whole bunch of runs. And with Masahiro Tanaka, we all know that this is someone that he has been known for getting to knock it around. He has looked a little bit better here in 2020, but he's not given the team a lot of length. You can tell that the Yankees are certainly putting him on a little bit of a tighter pitch count, which I think is certainly going to hurt the chances of him being able to go 5-plus in this spot. He has went 72 thirds innings, only a 1-1-70 ERA, but I do think that he could wind up giving up a couple deep balls here as well. I think that Scoring should be fairly easy in this game. We saw the total in the game on Tuesday anywhere between 9.5 and, and 10. If you're looking at that sort of a total, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the over. And this is probably going to be a Yankees run line as long as Mr. Yanoa winds up being the gentleman that starts a game and you don't have like some trustworthy guy that's going to be getting the bulk of the innings. So that's what I'm looking at right now. Check back on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41 for set plays there once we know a little bit more. 917-918 on the betting board is up next. You've got yourself the Baltimore Orioles and they are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. What the Eflin? It's Zach Eflin who's going to be going on the mound for the Philadelphia Phillies. Meanwhile, it's going to be Mr. Wade LeBlanc going for the Baltimore Orioles. If you're looking at this total, it is 9.5. The offers anywhere between minus 110 and even if you're looking at the under, it's anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. And with the Philadelphia Phillies, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 170 and minus 180 plus price here on the Baltimore Orioles. It's anywhere between plus 155 and plus 165. 
With Wade LeBlanc to call him necessarily the world's greatest starter would certainly be overstepping things, but what I do like about Mr. LeBlanc is that he's going to be able to fill some innings for you. With Wade LeBlanc, he's going to be able to give you like five strong. You take a look at what he's done during the 2020 season. He's got an ERA of a 691. He's given up 15 hits over the course of 14 and a third innings. He's given up four home runs. He's only given up two walks, though. And then when you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies, Zach Eflin was able to go four scoreless innings in his first start of the campaign, but this is someone that's known for giving up the long ball. He's someone that certainly doesn't have the best of control. And when you're digging the Baltimore Orioles, this is a team that's actually hitting very well right now. Answer Alberto's hitting a 333. Renato Nunez, 321 batting average, five home runs. He has certainly been able to do something for this team. Anthony Santander has gotten it going. He's hitting a 270. He's been able to give this team a little bit of hard contact as well. Even Austin Hayes, it was a very cheap inside the park home run, but he got an inside the park home run in the 10th inning in the team's game on Tuesday. No matter how cheap it is, Chan Sisko, he's been playing the I'm hitting a 353 song instead of the thong song. Jose Iglesias has been in and out of the full, but he wound up being able to give the team an at-bat in the game on Tuesday. He's hitting a 395. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, this is certainly a team that, even though the pitching has not been there, the batting has been. JT Riumito, he has currently got for this team four home runs. He's been able to do a very solid job. Bryce Harper wound up going deep once again yesterday. Jay Bruce has been able to do a better job with his batting average. 273 batting average, three home runs for him. Reese Hoskins, he's not hitting well. 211 batting average, but a 423 on base, so he's been able to do that. Roman Quinn is right now a hot mess out there in the outfield, but he's been able to give this team a little bit of an advanced batting average as well. And when you take a look at both these bullpens, for one, both of them are taxed. Two, both of these bullpens are absolutely terrible, but I think that LeBlanc actually gives a better search here than Eflin. I know that LeBlanc has certainly not had the best of goes of it for the beginning of the year, but I just think that he's going to be able to give more innings here than Zach Eflin. It's just hard to trust in Eflin. You're either going to get someone who's Eflin good or someone who's Eflin bad. I think that Eflin bad is going to wind up showing up in this spot. So for that reason, we are going to be going with the Baltimore Orioles at a plus price, and we are going to be going with the total over as well. We move on to game number 919, 920 on the betting board. This is one that is going to be involving the Washington Nationals, who are going to be hitting the road to face off against the New York Metropolitans. If you're looking at the Metropolitans, well, you are seeing no pitcher out there, which means that this is a game that is presently off the board. Meanwhile, going for the Washington Nationals, it is going to be Anibal Sanchez. And if you're taking a look at Anibal Sanchez for the 2020 season, it certainly has not been going well for him. Meanwhile, when you take a look at what has all been going on with the New York Mets, it's been a mess, and that's putting it very politely. You got to think that the Mets might be going with a little bit of a wholesale approach, and then getting back to Sanchez, 784 ERA. He's given up four home runs at 10 and a third innings over the course of, I think it's two starts. It might be three, but he's given up 16 hits. He has just been absolutely hammered. And with the Washington Nationals, this is a bunch that you just don't know what to make out of the offense right now because they have scored three runs or fewer, really in all but two of their games right now in the month of August. So over the course of, I think it's seven games, might be six, they've scored three or fewer. It's been really tough. Now, they are getting a little bit of something out of Sterling Castro. He's come back to earth a little bit, but he's hitting a 288. Getting Juan Soto back is big because he's hitting a 364. And now Kendrick has been able to get on base along with Azurable Cabrera. Both these guys hitting in the 320 range. Eric Thames has not been able to provide a lot of pop, but he's been able to give the team a little bit when it comes to average. And then when you take a look at the flip side for the New York Mets, you've got Robinson Cano, who's actually been doing a very good job of getting on base for the team. He's been able to provide a couple home runs, so I actually do like the way that he's been swinging so far this year. But Pete Alonso, who wound up getting the day off on Tuesday, he's been hitting right around at 200. Wilson Ramos is also hitting below the Mendoza line. you got Brandon Nimmo who's not doing a lot for the team, but Jeff McNeil along J.D. Davis, Michael Comforto, and you've got Andres Jimenez 
Jimenez. He has been a little bit of a nice find for this team. They are hitting a 290 or greater. Billy Hamilton has gotten a base as many times as Greg Peterson, and we know this with the New York Mets. Their bullpen is really a hot mess. They were very lucky that they wound up getting a quality start out of Rick Purcell. It looked like it could go sour very early. He was able to give them six innings, so that was big. But when you take a look at this Mets team, I think that they wind up giving up quite a few runs in this spot. And with Anibal Sanchez, it's been a rough go of it for them as well. Depending on who the Mets are trotting out there, I'd be looking at a total as high as 10 over. And this is a situation in which... I just really can't give you a side until I know who the Mets are going to be trotting out there because there's just a wide variety of what the Mets could be giving you when it comes to a pitcher. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GRS41 for set plays on that one just because it's a little bit tough to call at this point. We move on to game number 921-922 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins are in the road faceoff against the Milwaukee Brewers. This is my New York Post play of the day as the Twins are finding themselves as right around minus 130 to minus 140 favorites. Meanwhile, the Brewers are going to be finding them as high as a plus 130, as low as a plus 120. And if you're looking at this total, it is 8.5. With the total of 8.5, the over is anywhere between minus 115 to minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 105. With Kenta Maeda going for the Minnesota Twins, Eric Lauer is going to be going for the Milwaukee Brewers. And with Eric Lauer, this is someone that certainly has not been getting the job done here in 2020. He wound up making a start for the Milwaukee Brewers a few days ago. He got completely shelled by the Cincinnati Reds. And this is someone that really, dating back to July of 2019, he just has not been able to get anything generated whatsoever, but if you are a Milwaukee Brewers fan, what you've got to like for this team is that the bats have finally awoken a little bit. They put six runs up on the board against the Minnesota Twins in what was a big-time bullpen game for that team on Tuesday. And with the Minnesota Twins, you've got to think that there's not going to be a lot behind Kenta Maeda, but with Maeda, what he's done a very good job of this year is just reducing contact in general. He's given up right around five hits per nine innings. That has been rock solid. He's got an ERA hovering right around a 2-6. I like what I've seen out of him so far this year. And then with the Milwaukee Brewers, he wound up needing Josh Hader to be able to get that save on Tuesday. That is going to take away a little bit from him as well. And then when you take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of the Minnesota Twins, this is a bunch that they wound up putting up a record amount of home runs during the 2019 season. And they seem to be finding their swing a little bit more. They've been playing quite a few unders, but you do have to like the fact that Mr. Ore Polanco has been able to find a little bit of something for this bunch with Mr. Polanco. He is currently hitting at a 290. He's been able to provide some bombs at any Rosario in this series. Three home runs in two games, including a grand slam. Needless to say, he's online. And then with Max Kepler, this is someone that you've got to think is going to pick it up with the batting average because he and Eddie Rosario, both hitting a 230 or lower. Mitch Garver's hitting a buck 11. He was much better during the 2019 campaign. Luis Arias was hitting above a 300 last year. He's hitting a 216. And Miguel Sano, never great with the batting average, but he's better than a buck 25. Meanwhile, for the Milwaukee Brewers, obviously, Al Garcia was able to give the team a home run in their win on Tuesday. That's obviously big. Ryan Brown winds up going 0-4, but at the very least, they've got him back in the fold. Christian Yelich is still hitting below the Mendoza line, but it seems like he's starting to get things sorted out a little bit, and you've got something a little bit unexpected out of Orlando Arcia. He's hitting right around at 300. That's been big for a Milwaukee Brewers team that towards the bottom of the lake when it comes to batting average. Luis Arreyes, ever since coming into the fold, he hasn't done much. He, Eric Sogard, Ben Gamble, Christian Yelich, along with... Brock Holt are all hitting a 205 or lower. Manny Pina has actually been very good for the team, but Omir Narvaez is hitting below the Mendoza line as well with the Milwaukee Brewers. You have to try to get as much as you can out of Eric Lauer because they wound up really having to go into that bullpen very heavily for that win on Tuesday. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, you got to think that they're going to give up a couple runs here as well, but I certainly do think that Kenta Maeda is going to be able to deliver a much better start than Eric Lauer, and I think that there's a chance that the Minnesota Twins just go off for a touchdown in the spot. 
spot. So my New York Post play of the day is the Minnesota Twins, but we're also going to be riding with this total over as well. 923-924 on the betting board is up next. You've got yourself the San Francisco Giants in the road faceoff against the Houston Astros. It's going to be Zach Greinke going for the Houston Astros. Meanwhile, to be determined for the San Francisco Giants. So for that reason, this is a game that is presently off the board. Now you might see Drew Smiley coming in here for the San Francisco Giants, but now this is always a good old case of having to play the waiting game because it might be Jeff Samarja, but Jeff Samarja has just been absolutely tattooed in his last couple starts as well. So you've got a little bit of that going on, but what I can tell you is that this is a San Francisco Giants bullpen that all of a sudden is getting badly taxed. They were able to get an okay-ish start from Tyler Anderson on Tuesday. He winds up going five innings. He did wind up giving up four runs in the process, but at the very least, he was able to give this team a little bit of length. And then when you take a look at this Giants team in general, you've got Donovan Solano, who's been doing an absolutely terrific job for this bunch. With Donovan Solano, he's been able to hit above a 400 all year long. Mikey Stremski has been able to give this team some solid power. This is someone that he's been able to hit above a 300 as well, so you've got to like what he's bringing to the table. You've also got Chadwick Trump, who winds up being able to do a good job of being able to get on base for this punch as well. He's been hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 275-ish. He's the guy that's filling in for Buster Posey, who opted out of the season, and he's been able to do that. Darren Ruff has been a little bit up and down, and Hunter Pence, who has just not been able to hit for average whatsoever, he wound up getting a big home run in the team's game on Tuesday as well, so you like that, along with Austin Slater hitting above a 300. This is a Giants lineup that has actually been very good. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, you still got some scuffling bats out there, but Alex Bregman is starting to pull things up. He was able to have himself a nice game on Tuesday. He's now hitting above a 230. You got Jose Altuve still hitting below the Mendoza line, and you're obviously going to be dealing with George Springer out of the He's currently injured, but you've got Yoli Gurriel hitting a 275. Carlos Correa more around a 240. Martin Maldonado is never going to give you a good batting average, but you've got to expect the Miles Straw. Someone that was able to hit right around a 270 during the 2019 campaign is going to pull up his buck 33 for this year. And with the Houston Astros, no doubt, this is not a good bullpen as well. You just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of some of these guys. Andre Scrub has actually been not a scrub for this team. He's been doing a solid job, but he wound up getting used up in the team's game on Tuesday as well. So if you're seeing another total in this game right around like nine nine and a half which is what we've been seeing in this series I'm probably going to be taking a look at the over Zach Greinke, you've got to think, is going to be able to do a solid job here for the Houston Astros. You take a look at what he did in his last start against the Oakland A's. He looked very good in that start. He winds up going six innings. He doesn't give up a single earned run. First start of the year, he wound up looking a little bit rough against the Seattle Mariners in a loss, but his team has actually owned three in his starts. I think that that's something that should be able to reverse itself, but he doesn't have the swing and miss stuff like he used to. 15 innings, he's gotten 11 strikeouts so far this campaign, so that is something that you certainly do want to keep note of, but I do think that this is a spot in which we are going to see a bunch of runs especially if Justin Marger winds up going to the mound because he's got an ERA north of nine. He just has not been able to find it. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GRS41, but probably going to be looking at an over and probably going to be looking at something like an Astros run line if you do wind up getting the Granke versus Jeff Samarja matchup like I'm sort of planning on. 925-926 on the betting board is up next. You've got yourself the Boston Red Sox and they're going to be playing host to the Tampa Bay Hot Shell Rays. If you're looking at the Rays, they're going to be trotting out there Blake Snell. And for the Boston Red Sox, it is going to be Zach Godley, who on this podcast has been also called Zach Ungodly Awful. If you're looking at the Boston Red Sox, you're going to be finding them at a pretty hefty plus price here. You're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 140 and plus 150. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Tampa Bay Rays, I'm seeing them as high as minus 160, as low as minus 150, and your total on this game ranging between 8.5 and 9. On the 9, the under is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. With the over between even and plus 105, if you're looking at the 8.5, over is minus 120, and the under is even. And for Zach 
ungodly awful. He hasn't been ungodly awful. 11 and a third innings. He's given up two home runs and four walks, but by and large, he's been able to get the job done. In his last start against the Toronto Blue Jays, tough luck loser. 2-1 to loss. He only went four innings, but he was able to do a solid job of keeping them off the board. Zero runs given up. And I do think that this could be a spot in which he goes a little bit deeper. As we know, the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a bunch that they have scored a combined 16 runs in the first two games of the series, but they've really been stuck in neutral for a lot of this year. They don't necessarily have ideal power. Mark Bruseo was able to get his third home run in the campaign, and he's been doing a great job for this team. 375 batting average. Brandon Lau has been able to get on base as well, but you take a look at Austin Meadows, you can tell that he's sort of dealing with COVID-19. He, Jose Martinez, and William Adamas all in between a 240 and a 255. Hunter Renfro, G-Man Choi, Manuel Margot, these are all guys hitting at 220 or lower with Yandy Diaz hitting right around at 230. And for the Boston Red Sox, you need to get a little bit more out of Andrew Benintendi. The two for three on Tuesday certainly helps, but he's still hitting just a buck three. But you have been able to get something out of Alex Verdugo. He comes over in that Mookie Betts trade. He's hitting right around at 260. Mitch Moreland has been able to give this team some power. He's hitting above a 300. You've got to like the fact that Xander Bogarts has been able to pick things up as well. And Kevin Pulecki hitting a 467 is actually really good. Christian Vasquez has given the team four home runs. Not necessarily going to draw a lot of walks, but he's got a 260 batting average. And then you've even got a little bit of an unknown gentleman who's been playing third base recently in Jonathan Arus. He has been able to give the team a little bit above a 300 batting average. I do think, though, that this is going to be a spot in which Zach Ungodly Awful is going to be able to give some innings with Blake Snell. What we've noticed in his start so far this year, he's just not going deep whatsoever. Three starts, he's won a grand total of eight innings. He's been able to get some solid punch outs. He's been able to get 14 strikeouts in these three starts, but you take a look at the walks. He's given up four walks over the course of eight innings so far, so that is not necessarily ideal. You got to think that they're going to try to build him up. I think that he's going to give more like four, maybe even five innings in this spot because with the Tampa Bay Rays, they wound up having to really go with a bullpen game for the team on Tuesday. You wound up having to try it out there a grand total of seven different guys, but we know that the Tampa Bay Rays, if they do have a forte, it is being able to trot out there. These just various guys. You got to think that someone like a Jalen Beeks is going to be available to give this team multiple innings as well after Blake Snell. So I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job. And keep in mind, Jalen Beeks actually used to play for the Boston Red Sox. And with the Tampa Bay Rays scuffling a little bit on offense aside from these last two days, I think that is going to regress to what the Tampa Bay Rays were prior to this series. So I'm going to wind up taking this little under and I'm going to wind up taking the plus price here with the Boston Red Sox. 927-928 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Texas Rangers and they are going to be playing us the Mariners of Seattle. It is going to be Taiwan Walker who goes for the Seattle Mariners. Meanwhile, Jordan Lyles is on the bump for the Texas Rangers. If you're taking a look at this total, it is 9. And with the juice of 9, you're finding it mostly at minus 110 across the board with the over and the under. I am seeing a couple places in which you're seeing the over move to minus 115 to minus 120. That will make the under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. But with that said, you're finding it pretty consistent across the board. And meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Texas Rangers, you're going to be finding them as a slight favorite in this spot. With the Texas Rangers, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 120 and minus 129 and that makes the Seattle Mariners anywhere between plus 119 and plus 110. With Taiwan Walker, really hard to have any faith in him whatsoever. He's just been banged up the last couple years. You can tell that he certainly has not been able to find a way to be able to go deep into games for this bunch. I will say he did have one good start about a week and a half ago at home, but this is a Seattle Mariners team that they played one under on the road so far this year, and that was in their most recent game against the Texas Rangers on Tuesday, so they have not been able to get good bullpen pitching. As a team, they've got the worst ERA out there in the big leagues, and Walker's not doing a whole lot to help that out. 579 ERA. Three starts so far this year. Four 
14 innings. He's given up six walks. He just is not doing a great job with his command. He doesn't necessarily have great swing and miss stuff. And for Jordan Lyles, he was really able to find it in the second half of 2019 with the Milwaukee Brewers. But prior to that, he was absolutely terrible with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He had a 536 ERA with Pittsburgh. And then with the Milwaukee Brewers, he had a 245 ERA. He's a lifetime guy who has more around a 5-ish ERA. And he's starting to revert back to what he truly is. He's got a 556 ERA to begin this year. He's made three starts, 11 and a third innings. He's given up eight walks. He certainly is putting guys on base. And for the Seattle Mariners, you've got Kyle Lewis who's doing a great job in the middle line for this team. 373 batting average, four home runs, 13 RBI. And Kyle Seager hitting right around 300 as well. That's been big. Now you do have with the Seattle Mariners a couple guys that really need to pick it up with the batting average. Evan White, Malik Smith, D. Gordon, Shed Long, and Daniel Vogelback all hitting a 200 or worse for this bunch. You do have J.P. Crawford who's got a nine base right around a 400. He's got some good wheels for this team. And whenever you're able to get some of these guys like Malik Smith and D. Gordon on, they're able to seal some bases. Problem is they need to get on base. And then when you take a look at the Texas Rangers, this is a bunch that they've got a bunch of guys that they need to pick it up as well. Joey Gallo, Willie Kellen, Rudin Adodor, Elvis Andrews, Sinchu Chu, all hitting a 220 or lower. Now, I will say the Todd father, Todd Frazier, along with Isaiah Kinnear Falefa. These guys are both hitting above a 300. It's been rock solid for this team, but Danny Santana has been out with injury. They've been just playing musical chairs at the catcher spot in general. But I will say this. I do notice that they're doing a little bit of a better job of generating some runs. You can tell that the new Globe Life Park is playing much more pitcher friendly than the old one. We've only seen three overs in Arlington so far this year. But with the Texas Rangers, they wound up having to blow through some of their more trustworthy arms because Mike Miner was only able to give this team four innings. He wound up just walking a bunch of guys. He didn't give up any runs, but he elevated his pitch count. So Nick Goody is probably not going to be available. You're certainly not going to have Jolie Rodriguez available for this game either. So that is certainly going to hurt them. And for the Seattle Mariners, it's not like their bullpen is any good to start with. Taiwan Walker is not necessarily great. I think that this is going to be a game in which we witness a whole bunch of runs. So I'm going to wind up taking this total over. And I have a little bit more faith here in the Rangers, especially with this being their home ballpark. And I do think that Joey Gallo is going to be able to provide a home run at some point in this game. So we're going to go with the Rangers and the total over. And we wrap things up with 929, 930 on the bang board. The LA Dodgers are going to be playing with the San Diego Padres. You've got Zach Davies going for the pods. Meanwhile, it is going to be Julio Arias going for the Dodgers. If you're looking at the Dodgers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 160 and minus 175. Meanwhile, the plus price here on the pods is anywhere between plus 150 and plus 160. Your total on this game is 8.5. With the 8.5 overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 105. And with Zach Davies, he's been off to a pretty good start so far this year. He was a little bit up and down with the Milwaukee Brewers in 2019. He's never really been a good swing and miss guy, but he's got more around 13 strikeouts and 15 and two-thirds innings so far this year. And what you like about him is the command. One walk so far this year. That has been big. And with Mr. Arias, I still remember when he came up to the big leagues in 2016, he was looked at as the next great phenom. I don't know why there's not more attention paid to him. He's still only 23 years old, and he's been able to do a solid job for this team. 240 ERA, 15 innings pitch. He's only got eight strikeouts and he's gotten six walks, but he does a good job of keeping the ball in the yard. When you take a look at the LA Dodgers, this is a bullpen that has been a little bit up and down, but Kenley Jansen looks a little bit more right here in 2020 than he did in 2019. You've got also Pedro Baez, someone that you're able to rely upon for innings as well, but you are going up against a Padres team that they've got some mashers. How about Fernando Tatis Jr., what he's doing? 338 batting average. He's towards the top when it comes to home runs. Manny Machado was able to provide a big grand slam for the San Diego 
Diego Padres in their win on Tuesday as well. Tommy Pham, you got to think he's going to come around with the bat. He, Trent Grisham, Austin Hedges, Jerickson Profar, Josh Naylor, all hitting a 233 or lower. But Eric Osmer is back in the fold. He hasn't necessarily been great since coming back. But how about Jake Cronenworth? 361 batting average for him. He's been doing an absolutely terrific job for this bunch. And for the Dodgers, at some point, you got to think that these bats are going to be able to bust out. You take a look at what you're getting out of Max Muncy, Austin Barnes, Jock Peterson, Will Smith, Matt Beattie, Cody Bellinger. They are all hitting a 200 or lower. That's absolutely insane. Their player with the best batting average after the game on Tuesday is A.J. Pollock. He is hitting a 286. You don't have a single guy with an on-base percentage really above 350 aside from Chris Taylor. I didn't think I'd be saying that about this team, so I do think that that's a little bit interesting, but we also know this with the Padres. Davies should be able to give you some solid innings, but then from there, you have yourself Kirby Yates, Craig Stamen, Matt Stram, and these are guys that largely did not wind up pitching on Tuesday, but I do think that even though Joe Kelly is out of the fold for the Dodgers, this is a bullpen that they're going to be able to do a solid job as well. I really do like Arias. I think that he's going to have a terrific year, and you gotta think at some point the Dodgers are going to be able to bust out with the bats. I think that Arias is going to be able to hold things down against the Padres. I do think that the Dodgers are going to be able to get to Zach Davies just enough to be able to pull out this win. So we're going to be taking the Dodgers on the money line. I know that's a little bit chalky, but I just don't have faith in them being able to win by two runs with that bullpen. But I certainly do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game with the Dodgers being able to get just enough offense to pull it out. So we're going with the Dodgers and we're going to be going with the total under. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Wednesday. A big thanks to our man Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you ever have a question for the podcast, fire that into my Twitter timeline at JRS41. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.